Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Maybe want to get a piece of that. Pretty good. I want to talk about sexy teens. I was getting erections. It's a very creepy feeling. I can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again. None of this is relevant. Pokemon, Pokeballs. 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. Is SpongeBob a Pokemon? Because as I thought about the show, I thought about the creatures that inhabited the environment. Yes, they're all sea creatures, but that just means they're water type. So they seem an awful lot like the same representation as a lot of Pokemon do. Now, if you maybe want to disagree with me, that's fine, but you're wrong because I'm right. Because look at Zatu. Zatu is essentially a bird with a cat face on its chest who spends his time staring off into space because apparently Zatu's power is that he can see both the past and the future at the same time. You'll notice they fail to mention the present. So not knowing where to go or where you have been or what the difference is would actually make it difficult to function. Then if you take a look at a creature like Licky Licky, which is, again, a real Pokemon. I'm not making this up. I went on the internet. I went, I searched for like odd Pokemon, weird Pokemon. And there is very little difference between Licky Licky and several other creatures that inhabit the same environment as SpongeBob. Licky Licky looks like a rotund, poorly thought out children's drawing with a Wi-Fi symbol on his stomach and a tongue that is at least twice as long as his actual head. So most of the esophagus space would either be used to roll up the tongue or to just slide the tongue all the way back down into the stomach. Then we hit to Vanillux, which is an ice cream cone, but unique in that it is A, a double ice cream cone with two faces. And as I have just mentioned, since it has two faces, it's alive and therefore sentient. So a sentient ice cream cone is a Pokemon I think, therefore, SpongeBob SquarePants must also be a Pokemon. I will also note there has never been a crossover between Pokemon and SpongeBob because as soon as Ash Ketchum showed up, he would smack that ball into that little SpongeBob and capture him because he has to get them all. And that is the sum total of all my knowledge of Pokemon. Question, why... Did the interviewer reject me on the spot after asking a couple of problem-solving questions for which I gave solutions? He told me this while solving the third one. We are not interested in your candidacy for this position. So that's a valid question. Why didn't I get the job? Because that's really what this person's asking. Because they're saying, why didn't I get the job? And the underlying implication is that they gave me problems and I solved those problems correctly. Therefore, I completed the task, and that task being completed correctly, I should then get the job. That in itself to me indicates a couple of things. Number one, you're actually missing a big chunk of what the interview is. This is not really a joke answer. It's more we're back to the Kruger-Dunning effect, which is my favorite 
sort of study in all of history because it explains so, so many things in life. So the first question you have to ask yourself is what happened immediately preceding the we are not interested in your candidacy? So you answered one question and they said, okay, continue. You answered a second question and they said, okay, continue. And then you answered a third question. They said, stop, we've had enough. You can go now. So what did you do that was either A, different or B, unpleasant about the way you resolved the previous problems. And that's the part that you're not thinking about. What did I do wrong? Because the, you'll notice in this question, it's saying, I did everything right, why didn't I get the job? But you're not asking the actual important question of what is it that I did wrong that I have to fix in the future? Because let's just go ahead and assume this person is very smart and is capable of answering all the problem-solving questions that they were given by this company. What are they interviewing you for? Yes, they are interviewing for your ability to solve problems. They're also interviewing you to see if you're an asshole. Because doesn't matter how smart you are, no one wants to work with an asshole. So you're being inserted into a team within this company and you're going to disrupt that team. That means they might have four or five smart guys and you're a genius. And then you bring down the productivity of those four or five guys. Your genius isn't making up that difference. You might actually grind the whole production to a halt because no one wants to work with you. Which means hiring you is a sum value of nothing. There's actually no benefit there. They're gonna put money into you and not get anything out. I would say you probably did solve the problems, but my suspicion is you were a bit of a dick about it or you showed that the, maybe the problem, you didn't think the problems were hard enough. There was some indication within your process that made them think, oh, we don't want this guy around. It has nothing to do with the problem you solved. You or your attitude is the problem and the way they solved it was to not hire you. What you have to do now is not look at your ability to solve problems like let's say uh, computer related issues. You have to look at the problem as in you are unappealing to an employer and how do you fix that? Because one of the things we find most of all is people who are smart are often really big dicks about being smart. And like I said earlier, no one wants to work with them. So the question is, why is Canada so fake? Clearly, there's two ways I could take it. The first one was obviously just a stupid joke, and I was going to say, it's mostly made of paper mache. I thought that was all right. But this is another one where the question itself doesn't give us enough information to even interpret the question. In what way are they talking about fake? Because clearly, again, my interpretation is the actual physical country is not real, uh, and it's going to disappear or something like that. You could make that into a five-minute bit. What is fake about Canada? And so it has to be some kind of policy or representation of itself. And Canada is often represented as being very kind and generous, and this person maybe has not found it to be that way. Now, I'm going to make the most common assumption and assume that anyone shitting on Canada is American. I don't do that passively just because all Americans bad and they hate Canada, because actually most of the Americans I've met have been very nice, and most of them actually like Canada. But the people who shit on Canada the most are the people who look bad by being compared to Canada. And honestly, the only country that that happens to is America. So what is fake about Canada? Well, is it the social programs and the caring about people and citizens and stuff? Is it the general politeness and kindness? No, those are all real things. There is a fakeness. I mean, people are polite, but don't actually feel that way about you. They might smile and say hello. In fact, I've found that when I get angry, I get more polite to the person I'm talking to. Someone who's never met me and doesn't know me, they will actually think he's a very polite man holding, you know, in a very frustrating situation. 
But that, I believe, is a holdover from growing up in Canada. I think the way you deal with anger in some ways is to be polite in the hopes of just ending the situation as quickly as possible so you can leave. And it is actually overall pretty effective because it's hard to argue with someone who's just standing there being nice and being polite to you because then you are proven wrong by every escalation of your statement. So I really wanted to answer this. I really wanted to know more about why this person thought Canada was fake, what aspects they thought were fake, because that would be, to me, the more interesting part of this conversation. What is fake about Canada? Because there probably are some things. There's a lot of misrepresentations. In the last couple of years, I've been very, very disappointed with my country in that it's repression of scientific studies in the way it's trying to silence people. The government's trying to silence the scientific community. And I think that is absolutely disgusting. Because there was a time when the government actually said you are not allowed to publish your results publicly until you've been reviewed by the government. So that means factual findings from scientists were being censored by the government if it didn't fit with government stances or desires, which is just not how science is supposed to work. And to me, a free nation would never censor a scientific group. At least not a legitimate one. I mean, yeah, we can go off on ethics and uh, crazy science and stuff like that. Those should be, you know, stopped or controlled or at least... And ethics should be imposed upon them. But when it comes to a free society and we're doing climate research or something like that, you should not suppress those results because that's just the world we live in and that's important. I think the reason I wanted to answer this is because there probably is an element of truth, but I wanted to find out if the element of truth I believed was there was the same as the actual question writer because I bet they're different. I bet what they were thinking of is something different from what I was thinking of. So I wanted to actually explore what they thought was fake and then probably try to prove them wrong and then explore what I thought was fake and then of course I'm right. Because it's my show and I get to edit it any way I want. So last week I had a two-hour setup for a single joke and a lot of people aren't as dedicated to their jokes in that way because I spend a lot of time in front of groups and when you spend a lot of time in front of groups you start to get comfortable and once you get comfortable you start to notice people's behaviors and that is a very interesting position to be in when you're standing in front of 20-25 people and you're noticing the small annoying behaviors of people in the group. There was someone who was fidgeting. Since this is a work project, I can only be so engaging, but I do my best. So if someone is clearly bored or fidgeting, I will notice them and start to pay attention to them. And I might try to interact with them or I might just try to ignore them. It depends on the mood of the day. But this person was playing with their pen and every 10 to 15 minutes, they would drop their pen. What I did was I turned around and just put a mark on the board. And when I got to four and then did the fifth cross out, it was clear that I was counting something but I never indicated what I was counting. So as the day wore on, and we were getting closer to the end of the actual two hour period, people started to wonder, but they, it was clear that I wasn't gonna tell them unless they asked. So someone had to build up the courage to actually ask in front of a group of 20, 25 people, what are you counting? And then I got to turn around and go, every time that guy drops his pen, I put a mark on the board. So it was funny and it got him to put his pen down. Unfortunately, it was sort of later in the day, so it didn't actually stop the behavior. But at least I had that two hour setup to a pretty solid joke to finish off the day. Everyone laughed. He was a little embarrassed. It wasn't too mean spirited, or at least not from my point of view, because I could have said a lot meaner things. Now that I'm actually explaining the joke to people... I'm thinking maybe I was mean. So if you think I was mean, that would be something, some good feedback for me. 
but it certainly wasn't intended that way. It was just something that annoyed me. Single longest setup I ever had for a joke was about five to six years. I can't remember because it was a long time ago. I had a girlfriend and she was Korean Canadian. So I went over to her house and I had dinner with her family and it was very nice. They were a very kind and generous and open family to me. So I don't want to make it sound like they ever did anything wrong because they didn't. They took care of me in ways that I would honestly say my own family hasn't done. They were always there for me and always very supportive in everything I did. So I don't want there to be any implication of negativity in this whole thing. But, <laughs> you say all that and then you say but. But, when we had dinner, I was given chopsticks. And they asked, do you want a fork? And we were eating and I was using the chopsticks and that was fine. But of course, I picked up something that was slippery and I dropped it. And immediately, everyone in the family was like, do you need a fork? Do you want a fork? And they were trying to be kind. So it's not like I didn't understand that. I understood exactly what was happening. So I wasn't offended or anything. I was, no, no, I just dropped it. I'm okay with chopsticks. So off we go, no thought about it again. But I had to wait about five years after that point to be out with my girlfriend and have her drop something off a fork so that I could whip around really quick and go, do you need chopsticks? And while you would say that joke isn't very good and not worth it, the five-year, six-year space of build-up to that joke was absolutely worth the payoff. It was one of the most satisfying jokes I've ever made. My girlfriend enjoyed it. She laughed too, so we were both on the same page. And I actually think she remembered that first night at her house. So for her... It was a callback to a situation five years ago, which, again, for us, escalated the quality of that joke. Sometimes jokes are mediocre, but the timing elevates them significantly. So if you're not good at jokes, if you get good at timing, you'll actually be all right. So when I was talking a couple weeks ago about the, the comedy bit I did in Canada... I actually mentioned that I used to be a games journalist. I did that for about two years. Uh, it was a really good job. But I also talked about a formula I used in my writing. So some people wanted to know what the formula was. And I came across a very easy formula in my years of writing for the internet. And what I would do was talk about exploitation. So generally one of the themes was, uh, let's say, booth girls at expos. So they have these girls and they're wearing basically bikinis or almost nothing at all. And they're standing next to a booth or they're standing next to a car or something like that. They are eye candy and they're there to be exploited for their sexuality. They have the same problem in video games, so the girls are all sexualized. They have the, they have the same thing all over. The, they, they have the same thing in, in almost all segments have similar problems. They have something where they're exploiting women for sexuality for the appeal of men because men are the target demographic. So what I found I could do is talk about the exploitation, but then it was perfectly justified for you to post pictures of the things you were talking about. So I'm posting pictures of sexy girls as I talk about them being exploited. But now you get to the next part of the story where I actually talk about what I'm doing. And what I'm doing is finding an excuse to post sexy girls because I know that sexy girls will bring the clicks. And that way I'm exploiting the exploitation that's being done. It's a double-layered exploitation at this part. But I'm also taking a stance of being indignant or finding this unjustified so that I can talk about it. But I'm only talking about it so I can post these pictures because I know the pictures are going to be appealing to the men, the target demographic of my articles, so that I can bring them more clicks. And that way my internet content would be more valuable. 
Then in the third part, I would talk about how I knew that from the beginning. It's not like this was a new idea I just figured out. And this is exactly what I was doing to you, trying to manipulate you into clicking onto my article because of the sexy picture, because of the exploitation. So either I was getting people who were coming because they wanted to read about the exploitation of women, or I was getting guys who were coming because they wanted to see pictures of sexy girls and read about exploitation and maybe get a little more woke. But then I was shutting that down by going, look, I know I'm doing it on purpose and I'm doing it to you right now. So that was a very interesting pattern I created for a certain type of article that I would write every three or four months. Now you could do it on different topics. It was girls in video games, booth girls, anything where there was any sort of touch of sexuality, I was able to just rewrite this article, formula-wise, and publish it somewhere and get paid. And it was always a consistent hit because I knew I was either getting people who were coming to be disgusted by the exploitation or people who were coming to ogle at the exploitation. Writing for video games. Video games journalism was not as fun as I thought it would be. I really liked it, but I actually found it diminished my pleasure in video games. Because the first thing you have to do is play a video game as quickly as possible so that you can actually finish it so it's in a time frame that's still relevant, which means you aren't playing for pleasure. I, when I play a video game, actually play on average quite slowly because I go around, I look at things. Uh, I really like open world games where you can just mess around and do stuff. So I like driving around a game I'm playing right now has really good music, so I actually find that every now and then I'll just drive around and listen to the music and not actually do anything. I get into a kind of weird zen state. And then the second part is you have to play games you don't like. And to give a fair review, you actually kind of have to play them to completion. So you'll get a game in about an hour into it. I know I don't like it. So I did a series on Musou games. And these are games where they're actually kind of cheap production Japanese games. They do a lot of asset flipping. They do a lot of like just copy paste of the enemies. They do a lot of just like... Uh, palette switch out the colors and now you have a new boss or something but you just run around and there's crowds of enemies coming towards you and you do big sweeps and they all go flying in the air it's really it's fun for about 10 minutes for me but it's a very shallow game to my feeling and so I never really enjoy them the premise I had put to the guy who was going to publish the article was I play three of these and do a comparative uh, because what I'd gotten into was comparing two similar games and talking about the similarities and differences and then talking about which one did what better the problem in this case, I had to play three games I didn't really enjoy. And I knew this after about 15, 20 minutes of playing the first one, that I just wasn't going to get more into it than I already was. It did mean I was hypercritical, but then the actual website I was working for shut down. So I actually never published that article. So I played maybe 30, 40 hours of two or three games and then actually never made anything back on it. And I really needed to because this was a case where I did not want to play the game in the first place. I was doing it kind of for an extended criticism, but then actually never got the pleasure of posting the criticism online. So th that was sort of two problems. One, you have to play games as fast as you can to stay relevant. Number two, you have to sometimes play games you don't really enjoy, and but you still have to give them a fair shot because maybe you'll pick up and start enjoying it at the end. That is always a possibility. It's unlikely to be honest, but it is always a possibility. But finally, there was my experience with the internet. So these were all being posted on the internet. One thing I found is there were two times when the internet got angry at me for something. And one, I subtitled the article a straight white male opinion. And that, if you were smart, was clearly tongue-in-cheek for the whole social justice warrior thing that was going on, knowing that people did not, at that moment, want more straight white male opinions. 
But people didn't get the joke. So as soon as they saw that, they started ragging on the article. But when I started reading what people were complaining about, it actually became very clear that people weren't reading more than the first paragraph of the article. And this was honestly something that pushed me towards podcasting. I came to the realization that people don't really read anymore. So I would write one, two, three pages of content, very thought out, very thoroughly put together, and honestly, quite often very good. If someone was complaining about it in a negative way, if someone was making a negative statement or comments, it was, became very clear that they hadn't read all the way through to the second page. Because what they were talking about was an issue that maybe I resolved or came around to in the second part of the story. It became very frustrating because often if I bothered to respond, my response was read the whole thing. And of course, no one wants to admit they were wrong, that they only read the title in the first paragraph and then moved on because the anger machine that is the internet. So on my personal website, I also was writing very long things. There's something that had sat in the back of my mind for a really long time. I used to do movie reviews, but I did specifically kung fu and bad action movie reviews. And what I did was post pictures and I would try to put a funny comment in the picture. And for a while I was using a JavaScript that if you moused over, the picture would flip. So you get two pictures for the price of one. It was a really neat little technique I used to try to make the article slightly more interactive in the hopes of getting people to read all the way to the end. A lot of my friends, very good friends, would actually come and tell me, I just look at the pictures. So they don't read the review, they just like the picture and the joke. Which very much to me is the state of the internet. It's very much how the internet is working now. People don't want a paragraph, they want one sentence. They don't want entertainment that has structure like a beginning, middle, and end. They want a meme that is done within 30 seconds so they can read 40 or 50 memes in about 10 minutes. And that is sort of the speed culture we've taken on. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it certainly doesn't fit my format as I talk for 10 minutes on the topic. I like to get deep into things. If I'm going to make jokes, I like to build the jokes over times, which means I need a full page, two pages to actually do it if I'm going to do it in a written form. And I thought, oh, I should just do movie reviews and only do the pictures, which actually would be a lot less work. But I found I just stopped doing movie reviews. I've always intended to go back to them, but I just don't consume media the way I used to. So those have kind of fallen off. I actually plan to probably pick it up again in the future. And again, it's sort of structuring my work schedule so I have time to do all these things. So just to sum up, my experience with video game journalism, it was super fun. I got paid to play video games. I got free video games. It was super exciting to actually do that as a thing. Even I actually even enjoyed playing the games I didn't like that much because I got to be critical of it in an interesting way. I always tried to bring an interesting facet to it. But what I found was all the negativity usually came from people who disagreed with me hadn't actually read the whole article. So I don't mind if people disagree with me. I do mind if people disagree with me and they haven't actually heard my point in the first place. The loss of the loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast.